Hello and welcome to this message from the room. We hope that this message from Pastor Billy Pate inspires and challenges you towards a greater relationship with Jesus Christ. Now let's join Pastor Billy Pate for another exciting message. You say come to the always good for us to have special guests with us. Kent is going to come at this time and we're going to turn the service over to him and just let him uh, have his liberty this morning. I want you to give him your attention and I want you to give him a great round of applause uh, for all the help that he gives us here at the river. Kent, we're so blessed to have you and Judy with us today. It's always a pleasure. God bless you. Well, it is a it is a extreme delight to be here again. Um, you may remember, you may not, but we were here in January, so we're starting the year and ending the year. Man, you can't beat that. Um, so I'm hoping that you'll invite me for the Thanksgiving dinner. Could I come back for that one? I won't expect to speak on that one, okay? I'll just eat. How about that? Hey, it, it's been a great partnership with, with you, and we're just looking forward for years and years as the Lord tarries uh, to just work together. Because uh, that's the key, isn't it? That we as a church, we work together, uh, partnershiping ministries like Rural Compassion, partnering with churches, because that's really what we're all about. Again, thanks for the invitation, Pastor Billy, in in April. And and also, uh, Judy and I just want to thank you as a church for your monthly commitment to us. You're giving monthly to our ministry, and and in essence, you're you're allowing us to live out our dream, and that is to work full-time in in rural America, and actually since the last time we were here, I got a different picture, but we've added one to our clan. How about that one? If you look up in the right-hand corner, there's little Daniel Anderson Ryder. He's known as Andy, and as I said, I think the last time, just forget about everybody else, just look at my grandkids, because that's what, that's what, how many of your grandparents here? That's what it's all about, right? Okay, you can understand that one, but we love our family. Um, You can go to that next slide. Rural Compassion Really, our focus is simply this. We want to teach, we want to train, we want to resource rural pastors and churches so that they can be more intentional and strategic in their outreach efforts. And the bottom line is this. What happens inside the church is very important. Do you agree? I mean, what's already happened inside this building has been pretty cool. But God blesses us here so we'll make a difference on the outside. And that's really the heart of God. That's really God's heart towards every church regardless and uh, our motto, I, I love it, it's, it's small towns, big possibilities. And we really believe that God has big possibilities beyond where you're at right now as a church. He wants to take you to another level. And uh, certainly that's what we're hoping for in 2016. And uh, we've just really enjoyed the opportunity to partner with you with the shoes. I think it's around 500 pair of shoes that will be going to a local school here. And uh, I've already talked to April a little bit more than Pastor Billy about it, but it sounds like things are geared up and you're ready to do that before the Christmas time. One of the things that we love in working with small towns, I grew up in a town of 500, so I'm pretty rural as it goes. But go to that next slide. Is I've put on this my four favorite small towns, Totesuck, Arkansas, Idiotville, Oregon, Looneyville, West Virginia, and my personal favorite, Ding Dong, Texas, because right here in the, you got to love that one. But one thing that I don't think people think about is this, is that Jesus really does love small-town America. Think about this. He was born in a small town, and he was raised in a small town. But I like Mark 1, 8, 38. It really tells us this. Let us, this is Jesus speaking, let us go somewhere else to the small towns that are nearby. 
So it's pretty clear Jesus walked through small, the small towns of his, of his time. I have to spread the good news in them also. That is why I have come. Now, last time I was here, you can go to that next slide, is that I talked about, you may remember this, I was the net guy. You may remember that or not, because we talked about throw out your net and see what happens. And I can't help it. This, this verse has just burned into my soul and spirit. And uh, so I'm going to still refer to the net. It's just too good. I don't remember if last time I told you this, I went to the, uh, to the Middle East and Sea of Galilee and got this. No, I went, got it at Hobby Lobby. I don't remember if I told you that one or not. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. This is the verse that we're going to be hanging our hat on, so to speak, throughout the course of what I have to share. And I think one of the things we have to ask ourselves is in America, how is the American church, how are we doing throwing out the net? Because it's a legitimate question that we have to answer. I've got some stats here that I think are rather interesting. Go to that next slide if you would. And Barna Research did this information for me. I didn't come up with it on my own. But here's the facts. There are 300 million plus of people that live in America. And according to this research group, 211 million Americans do not have a personal relationship with Christ. The bottom line here, if this is even close to true, we have in God we trust on our coins, but we don't on our hearts. And we can't say anymore that we are a, a Christian nation because we're not. And so one of the things we've got to ask ourselves then, we better start throwing out the net then, right? Last time I checked, we AG people believe the Lord's coming back. And if that's the case, then we've got to be thinking intentionally and strategically on how to throw out the net. Go to the next stat here that I have. America is the third largest mission field in the world. China and India are above us. We are now number three. And I don't know if you know this or not. Now other nations are sending evangelists to America not to be trained but to evangelize us. Now, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? But if that first stat was even close to true, I'm saying, send them in because we can use the help, the net-throwing help. Next slide. Now we've got to look at our own fellowship. Here's the latest Assembly of God stats that I got from the headquarters. It's a couple of years old, but it, here, it'll put it into perspective. 53% of our Assembly of God churches have plateaued or in decline. Over half of the Spirit-filled churches in the Assembly of God, okay, where they're either staying the same or they're backing up. It's over 80% in other denominations, but I tell people all this before we pat ourselves on the back. It's like we're saying we are the healthiest people in the ICU ward. There's nothing to hang our hat on because over half our churches aren't really throwing out the net is what it comes down to. So we've got to think about this into relationship to that. Next, next one. 34% of our AG churches have less than 50 in attendance. Next one, 65% of our AG churches have less than 100 in attendance. And, and here's the kicker that, and I didn't make this up. I got this from headquarters. Go to this next one. At our current rate, 3,000 AG churches will close in the next 10 years. I mean, that is mind-boggling. Part of it is the graying of our churches, churches that are just have people that are older and they're not adding anybody into it. And the fact is, if we don't, those churches that have older members in it, they don't add somebody, they're just going to die just because they all die off. You follow me on that? Some of them are just, they're not growing. That's a third of our churches. So I'm of the opinion we better do something different than what we've been doing. Huh? 
We better come up with new ways to throw out the net. That's the bottom line. Go to this next, the next slide. Albert Einstein said this, supposedly he was the one who said it, insanity defined doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. That, my friend, is the church. I mean, sometimes we just keep doing the same thing and the same thing and the same thing, and we get the same results. Maybe it is God's trying to tell us, maybe we need to try something else. Maybe we need to do something new in our net throwing. Our message never changes, but our methods need to be tweaked. Okay, Our our message isn't going to change. We aren't going to water down the Bible, but how we present our message at times, it needs to be tweaked. I see we've got some young people on the front row here. Don't anybody say anything here. I've got something in my hand here that in many ways is a dinosaur. Can everybody see it pretty clear? Now, don't say, don't say what it is. Any of you know what this is? Have any idea? You're looking at the dinosaur of the music industry. In fact, if you had one of these in your car and you played it, you're older than dirt. And I'm one of them, okay? It's called an 8-track, okay? Right? Am I right on that one? In fact, a lady from Texas gave me this, but that's a whole other story, I guess. I won't go down the road on that one. But somebody said it this way. Oftentimes, the church operates like an 8-track in an iPad world. Think about that one for a second. Now, we don't change for the sake of just changing, or we don't do new things just for the sake of doing new things. God's got to direct us into that. But there isn't a church on planet earth that doesn't need to tweak something ever so often. And so that's the question of the day. And I love this last little quote on this. And I was with a district superintendent in Nebraska and did a tour with him. And he mentioned this. And I thought, man, I just love this thought. When's the last time you've done something for the first time? If we aren't careful, we Christians can be the most boring people on the face of the earth. We can become comfortable. We like warm fuzzies. We don't want anything to change. We like our style. We like our preferences. And you know what? We get in a rut. And the last time I checked, God's all about newness. Huh? He brings new life and freshness to our lives. So we've got to ask ourselves, too. In fact, the worship course, I love that. Trust without borders. Uh, We just sang that today, right? That's exactly what that's saying. And that's really a biblical principle. How are we trusting God without borders? How are we throwing out the net? Because that's an act of faith. What are we doing personally, and what are we doing corporately to throw out the net? Next slide. I was in Joplin, Missouri not too long ago, and I saw this vehicle. You may have something like this in Burke Burnett or in the area. It's just a vehicle that's plastered uh, with these bumper stickers, but it reminded me kind of of another story of a pastor driving to the church on a Sunday morning, probably much like this Sunday morning, and he pulls up to a stop sign, and a car pulls up beside him, and it was just an old beater, but it was plastered with bumper stickers, though that car was probably in a lot worse shape. When the pastor looked over at the car, he thought to himself, I think the car's being held together by the bumper stickers. That's how bad shape the car was in. But he started reading the bumper stickers because aren't you always fascinated with bumper stickers? I always read them anyway. And he read one and he thought, these bumper stickers have been on the car a long time. It said, don't blame me, I voted for Mondale. I mean, they've been, you don't even know who Mondale is either, do you? Okay, but anyway, that's a whole other story. Finally, he started, he said, he, it was all in a split second, he said, but he read that one. Then he looked at another one and it said this, do something really radical, practice your religion. 
It is only in America where we think it's radical to practice our religion. Shouldn't it be do something normal, practice your religion? But if somebody actually practices their religion, we slap them on Christian TV and in Christian magazines. We ooh and all all over them. And the fact of the matter is, all of us should be normal when it comes to practicing our religion. Meaning this, we ought to be doing it. On the back. I mean, it's the fact. We try to make everybody into a celebrity or something when we ought to just be doing, putting shoe leather to our faith. That's really, that's the issue of the day. And I think, again, it's a legitimate question that we need to ask ourselves. Go to that next slide. Every time we do something as simple as giving out a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, we help make the kingdom of God visible. That's called us being Jesus with skin on. And our world desperately needs to see people who are willing to give a cup of cold water in Christ's name, that we're willing to meet people at their level, at their need level, and we're willing to get involved in their lives. You know what that's called? That's called compassion. And that's very, 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 very biblical. I used to joke, and I still do with our staff at times, I'd say something like this, let's call ourselves rural sympathy, then all we have to do is feel sorry for people. Because that is the plight of the American church. We feel really bad about people, but we aren't willing to get involved in their lives because if we do, it might get messy. Well, what do you expect? People in this world are messed up, and if Christians don't get involved in their lives, last time I checked, according to the Bible, they're not going to heaven. Huh? So as a church, we have to be involved with people. And revival is messy, my friends. There's nothing, there's nothing, an idea of a sterile revival. When we start seeing people come to Jesus, people are going to walk into those doors that don't look like us, act like us, smell like us, talk like us, or believe like us. Bring them in, please. You know what, what happens with that? We get a little freshness in the church, and we start thinking why we do the things that we do. Not, several years ago, I pastored a, a rural church in Nebraska, And one young man came to the Lord. I mean, he had no church background. I mean, this was a very churchy type town as far as about everybody grew up in church. But this young man, for whatever, he didn't didn't know God, Jesus, or the Holy Spirit from a hole in the wall. And he'd come to our services and just about like clockwork, he'd come up to me and he'd say, Pastor, why do you do that during the church service? And I'd try to explain to him. And he'd say, Pastor, why do you do that? And I'd kind of try to explain to him. One time he came up to me, and one thing in particular, he goes, Pastor, why do you do that? And I said to him, I just was honest with him, I have no idea whatsoever why we do that. Because some of the things we do, probably we don't need to do, or we don't even know why we do it. So that's the beauty of having new Christians in the fold. There's, they have a different look at things. I mean, some of us, we are so into tunnel vision We can't even think outside the box. And we've got to get to a point where we're willing to do that, willing to think outside the box. Go to that next slide. I even hate to show this next slide. I know this isn't the right color red in Texas, and I know there's all kinds of colleges in Texas, but I'm from Nebraska. Don't hold it against me. I was born into it, okay? 
This is Memorial Stadium in Lincoln, Nebraska. My parents had season tickets since the 60s. I've been to a couple hundred games. If you put all of the family together, how many games we went to, bowl games, national championship games, which was about 10 million years ago, and the like. I mean, we've invested. We are fans. I mean, this isn't a deal where I just watch them on TV or our family. We were actually going, we'd go three, four hours every weekend to Lincoln because we were a long ways from Lincoln and see the games. And anyway, the bottom line is, I think we need to become a fan of God again. Huh? To the point where we have a little passion in our faith. And, you know, you, you watch football game, and I'm not asking you to paint your faces, the, the church colors and all that. Come to, I don't, do you have church colors? But anyway, I'm not asking you to do that. Okay, that's not the point. The point is football fans have a lot more passion for their team than most Christians have for God. Not asking you to be an idiot for God. Okay, you understand that, right? There are idiots too out there. But I'm just asking, let's just have a little freshness, a little passion for our faith. Somebody said it this way, the average college football game, 22 players on the field, desperately needing rest while you have 90,000 fans in the stands desperately needing exercise. Think about that one for a second. That, my friend, is the truth. And I grew up in a really small town, like I said. It was, it was class D, the class. So it was the smallest school. Like I had 20 in my graduating class. So this guy, I was, I was a little shorter, believe it or not, then I am. Not, I got to play football. I got to play basketball. I got. To, I hated track, but I had to go to out for track as a football coach said you had to go to track or you don't get to play football. That kind. Of, I played baseball. I mean, I got to play all the sports. And uh, the bottom line to it was this: I hated with a passion to sit on the bench and watch other people on the playing field. And in America, churches there are a lot of people that are very satisfied with sitting on the bench and watching somebody else do it. And I'm telling you, if that's our mindset, if that's our mindset, then that means this. Our net is in the closet somewhere, and it shouldn't be there. You leave a net on the beach long enough, it gets dry rot. It's good for nothing. And as an individual and as a church, we've got to be an army of net flingers. And there's got to be a passion, and we've got to want to be On that playing field. So important. You're going to love this next one. You can't get any more rural than this. Next slide. little theology here. Church people are like manure. Spread them out and they help everything grow better. Pile them up and they stink things up. That one will preach. Think about that one. I can tell you the truth. When I pastored for 27 years, and our church was at its best when we were scattering out. When we piled up, it stunk. Huh? I mean, people were worried about the carpet, the way the sound was too loud. There was that. You know, when you start piling up, you come up with all these things that you've nitpicked. Huh? When you got people across the street that desperately need to know what we already know. Lord, help us. Lord, help us to be people that are willing again to throw the net out. I had to do that. I'll do that one tomorrow night if you guys come. Act like you didn't even see it at the sectional meeting. Okay. Just, just. Next one. Next slide. Here, here, here's the bottom line, then we're going to do four things real quick as far as four principles I want us to look at. If I hear people all the time as I pastor, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. Well, let's see how Jesus was as a net thrower 
in his day. Somebody compiled these stats, and I think it's really interesting. Out of the 132 contacts that Jesus had with people recorded in the New Testament, look at this close. Six were in the temple, in the church house. Four were in the synagogue, in the church house. And 122 were in the mainstream of life. Do you think maybe Jesus was slightly externally focused? Huh? His contacts weren't just in the church house. He was doing ministry, throwing out the net, so to speak, outside the four walls of the temple and the synagogue. Think about it. I mean, Jesus did beach ministry, right? He did boat ministry, correct? He did cemetery ministry, true? He even did tree ministry, remember? Taking Zacchaeus on. So it's, it's really interesting to see that. And yet, if we're not careful, the only thing we do is insulate ourselves inside the four walls. And the other thing is, here's just, it's a fact. It's a, it's a stat that the longer we are Christians, the less non-Christians we have as friends. The very people we want to reach with, with, with what's happened in our life, in some cases, we don't even know anybody that we can reach because we don't even know a non-Christian. Think about that one. It wasn't too long ago, I was talking with an AG pastor, and he was an older gentleman, and it's, that's not the shot. That has nothing to do with anything. But he just simply said, what do you guys do anyway? So we started telling him about working with rural churches and this, that, and the other. And, and when we do trainings, we like to see if the church will find out what the felt needs in the community are and, and then uh, develop relationships, and, and especially with even people outside the four walls, even with non-Christians. And this... this A.G. Pastor looked at us and said, huh? And we explained it again, and he said, listen, I've been an A.G. minister for 40 years. I've never had a non-Christian friend, and I'm not planning on now. His church was running 20. No wonder. Huh? I mean, that had to be a sad place to go to church. Huh? We've got to be people that are willing to be open-armed. Huh? Jesus loved people with no strings attached. The reason is you wouldn't be here if Jesus didn't love you with no strings attached. I guarantee I wouldn't be here. Huh? And that's really how we have our mindset has to be. Let's go to the next slide. Okay, here we're going to look at, real quick, four characteristics of externally focused Christians and churches. Here's the four characteristics as I see it. Number one, they're convinced that good deeds and good news can't be separated. There has to be a marriage of the power of the gospel and the action or works or deeds. There has to be a marriage of that. And I think, honestly, I'll just be honest with you. I've spoken in over 300 AG churches in the last 10 years. And I think we've got the preaching and the power and the explanation side of the gospel down pretty good in the AG. I'm not for sure if we got the do side down. And there's got to be that marriage there. And that's what net throwing is all about. I like Acts chapter 10 and in verse 38, it says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went about doing good. Isn't that interesting? He was spirit-filled, but he also went about, because of that, he went about doing good. I, I mean, I love that verse. It's a great verse on the fact that there's got to be that marriage. And then Ephesians 2.10, we're very familiar with that. I'll just read a portion of it just to remind you what it is. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. God created us to do. God created us to throw out the net. He didn't just create Pastor Billy to do that. Right? 
I mean, that, that's, he didn't just create April, sister pastor, to do that. It's all of us in this together. We're, we're all created to do good works. Let's go to that, that next slide. It was about 10 years ago. Another thing that we do, we, we are involved in, in disaster relief in rural areas. But if you can believe this, 10 years ago, Hurricane Katrina came. I think I told the story in January. I didn't tell this story. But the bottom line is we worked in Greene County, and that hurricane, when it went through Greene County, it was over 100-mile-an-hour wind, and McLean County was one of the county or t- communities we worked in, and I should have put a Longhorn shirt or something else on, but I should have photoshopped. It's still Nebraska there, but Steve, Steve Donaldson is the founder of Rural Compassion, myself and David Hartfield. David stayed through the hurricane. He was about 60 miles north of the Biloxi area, and it was 100-mile-an-hour winds when it went through the town there, but he stayed with his grandson and his daughter. Everybody else left, but he told us this story. He said, when that hurricane went through the community, um, his house literally began to shake. What do you think he did? He started praying, wouldn't you, if your house was shaking? Okay. He was probably praying ahead of time. But he started praying. He said one word came to him, move. And he said to God, basically, and you'd have probably said the same thing. He said, God, why should I move? I'm in the best room in the house with no windows. It doesn't make any sense to move. He started praying again, and another time that word came to him, move. So he decided, well, I guess I should move. He took his grandson and daughter, and they moved into the kitchen area. Within five minutes, the gigantic tree on the side of the house snapped like straw, fell right through the family room where they, were, where they were sitting, and rested on the couch that they were sitting on. And when we heard the story, in fact, you can see the couch in the corner of that picture. And when we heard that story, we just said, hey, David, can we take some of the fabric off your couch? Just because he's going to throw it away. But right, you know, preachers always think this. There's a story here. And I tell people, this could be bloodstained, right? It could be bloodstained, but it's not. And I'll say why, and 90% or more will say, because David listened to God. Well, the bottom line is, if he just listened to God, the tree would have fell on him. Hello? You think this might preach? It's one thing to know God's Word. It's a whole nother thing to do it, my friend. And that's where we fall short in the American church. We know it, but we aren't doing it. Because if we were doing it, there wouldn't be 211 million people without Christ. Huh? We've got to be willing to throw the net. There's got to be this beautiful marriage of the power of the gospel and the deeds of the gospel in our lives. Next one. Principle number two. They see themselves... Externally focused churches and Christians as vital to the health, I love this, health and well-being of their communities. The bottom line is we should be a healing agent. The River Church should be a healing agent in Burke Burnett. Individually, we ought to be a healing agent in our community because we have the Holy Spirit within us. We have God's presence within us. So that only makes sense that we should be a healing agent. 1 Peter 2.12 says, Live such good lives among non-Christians that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. I love this one because that, my friend, is a a healthy Christian. That non-Christians even recognize the fact that you're a Christian. It doesn't mean that when you walk down the road that you're such a great Christian that people are just going to drop to their knees without even talking to you. I suppose it could happen. But the fact is, if we are a believable believer, there's an attraction to that. There really is an attraction to that. It's kind of interesting, but I think the Bible certainly bears that out. Go to the next 
slide, please. Here, here's a little town in Little Valley, California. If there is a lost town in America, it's here. It's up in the Sierra Mountains in, outside of Sacramento. It takes you about an hour to get up to this little community of just a few hundred people. It's a long story, but we heard about this community, and uh, there was a couple of, of AG churches at the foothill that also heard of the storyline here, and they decided they'd like to do something in the, in the town, be Jesus with skin on to the people in the town. Now, this is a little rural town, but there hadn't been a spoken gospel message in that town for over 10 years. There was no church there. Of course, you say, well, I could listen to radio and TV. Hey, if you went to that town, they, most of them didn't have a radio or a TV. It's very remote. But anyway, the bottom line is, that's America. We're not talking about the Amazon basin here, Okay. These teams came up. We were with them at the time. This was the only building in town. I find it kind of interesting. There's a phone booth. You can get an idea just where, where they're like. It's not cutting-edge technology there, okay? And so, anyway, that throughout that week, basically, this, this, was about, this building was about ready to be condemned. And the bottom line is we brought work teams up there, and they, they did a mini uh, makeover on that building. And then we did a concert. We did a barbecue, you know, all those kind of cool things. And in this case, everybody in town showed up to everything. They didn't have anything else to do as they showed up. But here's the remarkable thing. Here's some churches there that basically they threw out the net. Let's see what happens. If you were in Little Valley this morning, the bottom line is in that building that has been renovated, there'll be 20 to 30 people having church. And the funny part about it was, I guess you should have thought, we didn't even go in there thinking we're going to plant a church when we go there. We just want to love on people. But that's what happened. It happened organically. Isn't that cool? Then we hear, as throughout that week, that a lot of the, or a good share of the adults in that community, a high rate anyway, did not know how to read or write. Not talking about overseas, we're talking about right here in our own backyard, we're talking about rural America. Isn't this how God works? There happened to be a lady who taught literacy program in one of the church teams, and uh, when she heard that, so there was adults that couldn't read, it was like, this is Nebraska style, it was like stink on a skunk to her. I mean, she said, I'll come up every other week and I'll teach adults how to read. So the bottom line is simply this. Now, every other week, she'll go up. The first week she went there, they had five adults there that wanted to learn to read. The two weeks later, 20, over 25 adults showed up to learn to read. We're talking America here. Guess who the bulk of the people are that are going to church there this morning? You want to guess? It's people that the church is meeting their felt need. You never go wrong meeting actual felt needs in people's lives. You just can't go wrong that way. And, and that's what happened there. This is what one of the cool things is that a couple years later, I'm going to steal somebody's Bible. It's April. I'll give it back to you. I'm sure. that I, I think I will anyway. It's kind of cool. Man, it's heavy too. A couple of years ago, we were there, and, and it happened to have been the night where the, uh, they were doing the literacy training. There's an older gentleman in his 50s, and he was headed towards that building, and he came by and he said, I'm going to go up there to the building. Miss Teresa is up there. And he said, I'm going to read her this here book. And it was like a Dr. Seuss book. But you would have thought it was a copy of War and Peace. I mean, that guy was so happy with the fact that these Christians were actually helping him. Huh? Isn't it high time we Christians actually help instead of nitpick? and find all the problems. Why don't we come up with a solution ever so often? I've had it up to my eye teeth with Christians that'll judge and nitpick 
and complain, but never come up with one idea to help a person through their issues. I'm telling you, you'll never judge a person if you learn to know their story. If you enter into their life and you know their story, you will weep with that person. You will not judge that person. That's a good I'm myself on the back. Third. All right, I'll wrap things up here. They believe that ministering and serving are the normal expressions of Christian living. I mean, that's got to be the norm. Um, Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. I mean, that, that's the key. Are we serving our way into the lives of people? Because I believe this, it opens up the door to share our way in. Because that's the Jesus way. I mentioned that, I think, in January. And if we're going to do something, let's do it the Jesus way. Because the Jesus way will work, right? And he was a servant, so that has to be part of our mindset. James 1.22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. That's called obey. That's called moving off dead center, right? That's called action. That's called compassion where we involve ourselves in the lives of others. Here, this quote, and then we'll go to the last point. Rick Warren, I love this quote, a true mark of spiritual maturity occurs when a church takes off its bib and puts on an apron. Now, that one might hurt a little bit, but I'm telling you, that, my friend, is sermon material. I've had it to my, again, up to my eye. I've had a lot of things up to my eye teeth, haven't I? I have it up to my eye teeth with Christians that have been in the church for years, and they're still sucking on a bottle. They're still on a pacifier. When if we just put on an apron and do something, you know what? When we serve, we get out more out. We get out of it more than the people we serve. Why? Because it's a Jesus thing. That's why. So we've got to think about it that way. Last one. Last point. Number four. Certainly, focused churches and Christians they are evangelistically effective. Here's what we found out in about 10 years of working with rural churches and helping them engage outside the four walls. It's amazing what happens when we start actually building relationships, connecting with people outside the four walls that are non-Christians. We start developing these friendships, and all of a sudden, people start coming to the Lord. It only makes sense, right? If we're serving our way into their lives, it's going to make a difference. Never presume that God should have to send anybody through those, four, those two doors. I guess there's four, five, six, seven, eight. Man, you got a lot of doors at nine, ten. Okay, whatever, all right? You, we can't presume that God needs to send anybody through those doors, especially if we aren't throwing out the net in between the Sundays. Huh? People come to this church not because, and Pastor Billy's a good preacher, and April's a good sister pastor. But people come to churches nowadays because the congregation's believable believers. Icing on the cake when you got a good pastor and his wife, and you do. That's icing on the cake. What are we doing in between? Let's go to that last slide. I'll close with this story. Some of the churches we work with, they develop outreach teams, and they start praying and, and believe in God. Give us a plan. Let's do something new and fresh. Uh, beyond what we've done, and some of them are calling themselves Servolution, and there's a book by that name too, but I I love that t-shirt there of one of the churches, the church that's left the building. Isn't that a good one? Because that's that's really what we have to be all about. Well, here's a a great story I'm going to end with. I I think it's a great story. 
one church, they decided, you know, let's get together. They got the outreach team together. They started just praying about what can we do to reach our community. And they came to the conclusion that every month they wanted to send some teams into the community and basically do work projects. And so that's what they prayed about, and they came up with a couple ideas of where to start. But they did a little different. I'm not telling you to do this, but I think this was a God idea for them, and you'll see why. One Sunday morning, much like you did, the worship started, but it ended after the first chorus, and the pastor basically got up and said, I want so-and-so, 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 about eight people to come forward. They came forward. They had buckets. They had brooms. They had mops. They had cleaning solution in their hands, and they came and, and lined across the front of the auditorium. And the pastor just simply said, we've been praying about our servolution ministry, and we've kind of changed things up. We feel like this is the direction of God. He said, Today, you're going to be in church. These eight folks are going to be the church, and they're going to go do a work project. On Sunday, that's what they did, okay? I'm not telling you to do this. I'm just telling you this is what they decided to do after they prayed through it, okay? And so their team, the first work project that they were going to do, and I've been to the town before, there's a small truck stop on the edge of town, and it's not a nice truck stop. I'll just tell you that right now, okay? That's the nice way to say it, okay? But their first project was they're going to clean toilets in the truck stop. Man, what a glorious way to start your work projects, huh, on a Sunday? Cleaning toilets at a truck stop. So they get there, and they're, you know, eight strong. They're bringing all their equipment in. They go to the information booth, and there's an older gentleman there. And he looks at them, and he says, what in the world are you doing here? And they said, well, we're such and such a church, and, and we're here. We're going to do uh, work projects. We picked the truck stop to be the first. We called a couple weeks ago, got everything okayed. We're here to clean your toilets. And the gentleman looked at him kind of with a stern voice. He goes, I'm the owner of this establishment. And nobody told me you were coming to clean the toilets. And they go, well, we talked to someone. He said, well, I didn't get the trickle down. And then this is what I thought was kind of funny because he said this to him. He said, he said do you know, because he just wasn't church, do you know what day it is? Well, of course, they knew it was Sunday. He didn't know. But he, he, yeah, they said, well, yeah, sir, it's Sunday. And he goes, well, you don't know this, but on Sunday, those toilets are really a mess in there. And then they just started talking to him. And one of the things they said, which I thought was a great one-liner, they just said, you know what, we're just here as a church. We want to serve. We want to bless. We, want to just, we just want to lift the load from you. And they said, you know, Jesus one time washed feet. I don't, and they said, I don't know if you're aware of that, but he did wash feet in the New Testament. We just figured if Jesus was in our town, he probably cleaned toilets. I could see Jesus cleaning bathrooms, couldn't you? And so they just started talking. This was the first moment really, where the church throws out the net, okay, towards this truck stop. That's basically what's happening, right? They just throw out the net, and let's see what happens. We're responsible for contact, not conversion, but we are responsible for contact. Hello? We are responsible, every one of us, for contact. Can't get away from that. Read the Bible. It's very clear. And as they start talking, this guy begins to open up to them. They're serving Serving their way in. It's the Jesus thing. It works. They're serving, and he starts sharing. He said, you guys don't know this, but he said, about a week ago, we had something happen in our family that has literally crushed us. He said, I'm mean, I'm rude, and I'm crude. I have never really went to church. I don't pray. I don't read my Bible. But he said, because of what happened in our, communi- or in our family over the last week, he said, I prayed a prayer five minutes ago. In fact, he said, it's the first prayer that I can ever remember praying in a long, long time. And he said, this was my prayer. Dear God, if you're alive, 
send somebody. I've told this story hundreds of times, and it gets me every time. What if in that meeting with the pastor and the leadership and the outreach team, they started talking about Sundays and somebody said, we don't want anybody out at the church walls on a Sunday. They'd have missed out on an opportunity to bless somebody for eternity's sake. And I'm telling you, if God leads you to do whatever, and you need to throw the net out because when a strategic net is thrown out and it hits its mark, there's nothing better on planet Earth because it changes people's lives for eternity. That's the bottom line, and that's the question of the day. Individually, are we throwing out the net? Corporately, are we throwing out the net? And we need to be an army of net flingers. 2016 has got to be the year of the net for the river. We hope you have enjoyed and been encouraged by this message. We'd love for you to join us at the river on Sunday mornings at 9.45 for Sunday school and at 10.30 for morning worship. We also provide our midweek service for all ages on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If you'd like to support the various ministries at the river, please go to our giving tab. We'd love for you to visit us at 1110 South Preston Street in Burkrenet, Texas. And as always, we encourage you to come experience life with us at the river. Face down on your shore You say come to the river